everyone. I'm John Pataki, and welcome to Best One Sense, the next one, the friendly neighborhood podcast that web slings its way through the skyscraper dotted landscape of genre entertainment and the fandom it inspires. Today in the pod, we're thwipping our way into the multiverse to discuss the incredible sequel to 2018's industry changing Into the Spider Verse, Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. And here to discuss the movie with me is the cream cream to my coffee coffee. It's Paul Jaisley. Oh, pleasure to be here, John, in the uh, friendly neighborhood confines of the best one since the next one. Absolutely. We're both real street level podcasters. So we're, we're, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, let, let's just get right into it. Like as a co-host of the I Read Comic Books podcast, you are quite familiar with the character of Spider-Man as a lot of us <laughs> are probably yeah. the most popular comic book character of all time. Um yeah. What is your relationship to Spider-Man, the character throughout the years? Not just the movies, but just the character in general. Sure. Like, Where does he sit in the pantheon of your favorite comic book characters? I mean, that's an interesting question. You know, I've you know I've been on the show before talking about how much I love Batman, and I've discussed how much you know growing up as a kid, and even to this day, I'm very much a DC fan. But one of the earliest books I had as a kid was a book that published a handful of Spider-Man comics. Um, and it republished the first story from Amazing Fantasy number 15 and republished a couple issues of um, Amazing Spider-Man throughout the years with John Amita artwork and stuff. And like, so I grew up loving that character. I mean, like I have the copy of that book still in my home. It's dog-eared and covered in crayon. So I read the shit of it when I was a kid. <laughs> so I loved Spider-Man. And it's a character that I've always liked, uh, but never really read regularly. There was a few times in the 90s when I was deep into comics when I tried to read Amazing Spider-Man, just never clicked for me. But by the time the Sam Raimi movies came out, I was already out of reading superhero comics regularly, but I still love the character and I love those movies dearly. And what's odd is that when I got back into reading comics, um, you know, about 15 years ago, I started picking up Amazing Spider-Man and really like liked it. It was a nice nostalgia thing for me. It's like, all right, I can go back to DC pretty easily, but let me get into Marvel. Spider-Man's my end point. Um, I was reading Amazing Spider-Man regularly for a long time there. Um, I haven't, it's been a few years since I've been picked up an issue of Spider-Man, but I guess long story short, it's a character that means a lot to me personally, even if I'm not always currently reading the current Spider-Man storylines in the comics. But the character is really ingrained in me. And in my mind, as much as I love Superman and Batman, if you want a superhero that is relatable, you can identify with, and looks cool, like Spider-Man's right up there for, for me. I think Spider-Man might be the most interesting superhero just in terms of the aesthetic, the character, the story. It's something everyone can relate to, and that's why he's so popular. So even as a DC fan, Spider-Man ranks maybe in my top five favorite superheroes. I'm kind of in the same boat where he wasn't my regular, wasn't in my regular pull list to like have you know Spider-Man comics in there. I was more of an X-Men, more of an X-Men collector, more of a, a, a Batman collector when I was younger. Um, but I do have very specific memories of like, you know, the cosmic Spider-Man storyline. Like I had some of those issues. Like I got into like one more day when that came out around like 2007, sure. like that whole storyline, which has become pretty prominent in the storytelling these days, like Amazing Spider-Man volume one, the, the annual yep. number 21, uh, where they were Peter Parker and Mary Jane get married. I had like a version <laughs> of that, Pro probably not the original one, but like you know, I just had, yeah. I had a bunch of random issues, nothing that was consistent. Um, but yeah. I always drew spider-man all the time like i was like obsessed with drawing spider-man on everything yeah. um just because it was really fun to draw like that little circle in the center of his mask and like draw the webs out and <laughs> it felt like spider-man kind of taught you how to draw by drawing him because those webs on his suit kind of made the force perspective pop and things like that and you kind of learn yeah. how to draw him in crazy little poses i'm sure they look like shit if i go back and look at it now i'm sure like <laughs> The worst drawings in the world, but like there was just Spider Man all over everything. It was like my version of the Stussy S. <laughs> but I also I loved the cartoon as okay. much as I love yeah. the ninety like the ninety seven X Men cartoon, like the actual 
um, Spider-Man cartoon that was on Fox on Saturday mornings. I loved it. And it's such a great primer for Spider-Man as a character as a whole because it's these little bite-sized chunks of yeah, every, like every villain that's ever been in the Spider-Man rogues gallery is like has their intro in that Spider-Man cartoon. So you mm-hmm. kind of get this really like digestible crash course in, in Spider-Man lore. That being said, uh, I know you're not the biggest fan of animation. And <laughs> yes. <laughs> how, how did you feel? Where were you at with Spider-Man fatigue or like where were you at when the original Spider-Verse came out? How did you feel when you when you saw that and where were you at mentally with Spider-Man and like the cinematic version of Spider-Man at that point. I, we're going to get to our rankings of all the Spider-Man movies later on the shows. But, um, you know, I honestly like, I kind of like didn't care that much about the, the MCU Spider-Man movies. Like, you know what I mean? They weren't top tier for me. I don't think I actually saw any of them in the theater. I maybe I saw the second one in the theater, but like the first one I just waited till it was on video. It's, it's just that thing where I was burned out of those MCU movies in general. And then I was like, I, I mean, Spider-Man, I, I think Sam Raimi already, already perfected it. And the idea of Peter Parker being uh, Tony Stark's sidekick essentially is like, that's not really my Spider-Man. So I was able to ignore those movies. So I kind of went, went to Into the Spider-Verse with a clean slate. It's like, okay, I, I, this is a Spider-Man movie I'm kind of interested in. Even though I don't like animation that much, I fucking loved that movie. Just for the way it was able to tell an emotional, engaging story. Uh, visually, it's stunning. Obviously, it's very funny. Uh, it has a great premise, but just the way it was able to kind of capture the essence of what I want from a Spider-Man story, better, almost better than any other of the, the movies for me. And it's just so impressed by that, you know, and anyone that knows me knows, again, I've, I'm not a huge fan of animation, especially CGI animation, but that movie, I saw it several times in the theater. I've rewatched it several times at home since then. I absolutely love it uh, in terms of visual storytelling and a story that it will weave together with that character. So it's a, it was a big movie for me when it came out. Yeah, it was. It came out right in the middle of Sony. Obviously, has to reboot Spider Man every like five minutes because if not, the, <laughs> the rights for the character lapse back to Marvel, which then they would obviously go to like the MCU. And there's that whole complicated rigmarole with all the the rights issues there. Without reading reviews or anything, I was like, okay, I'll go check out this Spider Man cartoon. I'm sure it's gonna. Be, and in my head, it was just gonna be some sort of like DreamWorks or like Pixar version of a Spider-Man movie, just slightly toned down for kids. And like, you know, with great power, great comes great responsibility messaging and like all every, just playing that back again. But it really just knocked me on my ass. When I, when I left the theater, I was like, what was that? You right. felt the industry just shift everything from like miles being in like slower frame rates as he's learning to become Spider-Man and like yeah. clicking into like higher frame rates as he's learning the weird dot matrix style overlay from comics over every character. Yes. Just the yep. way everything looks and and feels in that movie is so perfect. And it also folds in this level of modernity to it where it's like this type of movie, and especially with uh, Across the Spider-Verse, and we'll get into that a little bit more, but this yeah. type of movie was not possible until 2018. Right. Just like Across the Spider-Verse was not possible until 2023. And not just technology-wise, but like folding in like graffiti art the type of like hip-hop they use in the background that like real famous usage of sunflower by yeah. uh sway lee and post malone which is like my boy's jam they listen to it like <laughs> five thousand times a day it folds all these influences into itself without being exploitative and it like really makes miles like the definitive spider-man of right this generation and i i love that about it so Going from that was like, how do you top into the Spider Verse? <laughs> but do you think across the Spider Verse met your at least met your expectations, or how did you feel about it? Uh, I mean, I I absolutely loved it. You know, I, I was excited to see it after how much I enjoyed 
into the Spider-Verse. And so I was already there. You know, as soon as I could go see it, I did. And right from the beginning, it felt like, again, as someone that doesn't watch a lot of animated movies, but I could tell right from the beginning, like, oh, they've leveled everything up. Like the animation style got better. It's like, they've, it's so much smoother. Everything looks amazing. Being able to blend so many different animation styles in the same frame, it really was just so visually overwhelming. At the same time, they didn't lose sight of the story. I thought the right. fact that it still told a focused, emotionally engaging story in that way. Um, and I was just blown away. That thing where there's certain points in the movie where I just thought like this is they just did everything in the first movie just more and bigger and somehow it all works. You know, that's the secret of doing a sequel and they kind of nailed it. So I, I absolutely enjoyed it. I actually can't wait to go watch it again so I can actually sit down and kind of pick it apart. I just you get so in- involved in the story, you kind of forget just how amazing it is visually. There's so much to see on screen that it's really impossible to, to take it all in at once. But like, exactly. like you said, yeah. those all those emotional tent pools. Are, we, I went to go see it with my my six year old son. So we it was a little over their head because it is dark, mm-hmm. it's dark it's darker. It's a cliffhanger. It has multiversal storytelling. It's talking about different versions of different people. So they were just kind of like, yeah. I don't really know what's going on, but like they <laughs> they understood the character journeys, you know, they understood the emotional right. arcs of the characters. And that's why these movies work so well is because they understand the emotional arc of Peter Parker, of Miles Morales, of Gwen Stacy, of all these characters. And and the phrase, a love letter is overused, but like it's a love letter to comic storytelling in general too. And Absolutely. to create that chaos on screen, and like you were saying, blending all the different animation styles, but somehow they still work seamlessly together. Like the, it's still a cohesive world and it's not like, completely overwhelming to your senses i'm sure if like <laughs> my grandma was still alive to see this movie she'd just be like what the hell is going on is but, like, yeah. in terms of like a, being a, a modern film with modern modern attention spans it's like yeah it, it's overwhelming on purpose because it's trying to show you the scope of the actual multiverse yeah and that's something i did i did really appreciate it and i i, I like that in the previous film into the spider-verse but this one they does even bigger it's like there are certain things. Look, I comics are the best. Comics are better than TV. They're better than movies. There's things you can do in yeah. comics that you can't do in other mediums. I think, and this movie kind of comes the closest to capturing those things for me. Uh, one of my favorite things is when if you're doing a multiversal story or if you're doing a time travel story, and the artist will mimic the art styles of different artists to indicate where the characters are from, using art style as a narrative device. And that sure. movie, this movie, totally does that. You know, and then, you know, we'll talk about the the villain, the spot. That's a character in my mind that kind of only works in comics. They made it right. work here in this animation. So like it's a love letter to Spider-Man. It's a love letter to the the comic book medium as a storytelling. And they're able to kind of capture some of the things that makes comics so special to me on screen. And that's really amazing to me as a comic book fan. Even down to the fact that like you can make a CGI Spider-Man in the live action films as much as you want to, but the insane poses that Spider-Man makes in the comics are only really (laughs) able to be captured in animation and the actual movement of Spider-Man and how quickly he can move and how nimble and agile he is, is really taken to the next level here. But also like, you know, like the industry basically like shattered after into the Spider-Verse and they're like, we got to catch up and make (laughs) stuff that looks like this now. So by the time all these other animation houses caught up to into the Spider-Verse, Cross the Spider-Verse came out and this movie was supposed to come out like two years ago. So now as soon as every other industry, every every other animation house in the industry caught up to Spider-Verse, they're like, oh, now catch up to this because we just leveled ourselves up so much that the bar is now up here and you're still way down here. You bring up a good point with saying like multiversal storytelling is like such a uh, over-the-top thing and like in comics and, and 
they do that by showing the different art styles and like all the different worlds of this, like Gwen Stacy's world from the very beginning is that like real beautiful watercolor yeah. art style from her comics, like the introduction mm-hmm. of her in the comics, but also this is how you indicate what different universes you're in. And it's very telling later on in the film. When you, if you go back mm-hmm. and watch it again, like you, you notice some things that you should have seen coming based on that style. It's really, really fascinating that they just took like the last 10 minutes, 15 minutes of, of Into the Spider-Verse, blew that out into a whole movie. The chaos at the end of the first movie is like the chaos of, of Across the Spider-Verse. So for sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, and in terms of multiversal storytelling, like we have really found ourselves in this really unlikely and bizarre moment in pop culture where where multiversal storytelling is like the coin of the realm it's gone completely mainstream possible peak of that is the best picture win for everything everywhere all at once like the the public consciousness has really accepted the multiverse as a storytelling (laughs) device which is insane it's crazy you really step back from it it's the craziest thing that could possibly happen absolutely do you have any thoughts as to why like (laughs) our culture has latched onto that premise so readily it is fascinating to me because yeah i've been reading comics since you know i was could read so i've got 30 plus years of you know experience with this stuff so it's pretty amazing to see the rest of pop culture catch up with it but i honestly think following uh, the election in 2016 and following the co the pandemic You're there's a, people who joke about us being in the darkest timeline so it's maybe just this like weird hope that we like yeah there's a better world out there that we kind of missed that we can always get back to. It's like this weird, like, uh, uh, you know, dream scenario. It's like, oh, don't worry. This isn't the only version that we have. There's a better world out. There's a better universe for us to transfer into or like, and we're still doing our things. Like it's wishful thinking. And I think maybe that was the right moment for the rest of the world to be like, oh yeah, we can kind of imagine a better world than the one Absolutely. we're in right now. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I'm not being glib. I think that's actually true. I think that that really was. No, a thing I think you're thinking. spot on. I think that's exactly right. And I think that, yeah. I mean, number one, the track has kind of been laid because everything is comic book storytelling now. You mm-hmm. know, so mm-hmm. it's like everyone's used to like, as you and I both said, like dumb comic book shit. Exactly. Everyone's used to that. So it's like, okay, now we can up the ante and tell crazier stories. So there's that level to it. And then the next level of it is, I think that you're exactly right. We're, not even just like with Trump, we're just like, how did we go so wrong as a culture? And <laughs> is there a world there for us where there is a version of me that has 12 arms and 12 legs and I'm a superhero? It's wish fulfillment. And that's what comics have always been and movies have always been. So the yeah. intersection of those two seems like a really great pairing. It's just so wild to me that, that the multiverse is the <laughs> is the way to tell stories <laughs> these days. Yeah. But it's, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's watching this movie, you feel that way. And it's like, as Miles progresses, he is alone in this vast universe and people can feel Mm -hmm. that way people can feel like they're like the only they feel like a freak they feel like an anomaly they feel like they should be where they are and the portal out of that is maybe there's a different dimension where new york is combined with mumbai maybe there's a different dimension where everyone exists as renaissance painting drawings or renaissance era drawings maybe there's Mm -hmm. there's infinite infinite possibilities and this movie crushes that fact like not even just tangible real world versions of people but illustrated versions lego versions of people which i love the lego part of this movie because absolutely spider-man 2099 is like you're our best agent to like the lego (laughs) (laughs) spider-man did you know that also i read recently that that whole scene was animated by a 14 year old boy really no yeah because he he had had recreated the trailer for Across the Spider Verse in Legos. Oh, yeah. And they were like, yeah. this rules. We got to get this kid on this movie. And so he animated <laughs> that a whole part and they put it in the movie. That's amazing. Very telling about the, where the creative minds behind this movie's 
heads were at right. while making it. Yeah. So in terms of all the limitless Spider-Man out there, what was um, who do you think your favorite one that you saw the movie was? <laughs> I mean, for me, uh, I, I love seeing the Spider-Mobile pop up for a couple seconds there. Totally. That was pretty fun. The Spider-Buggy, I've always been a fan of that because uh, it is just so rooted in a very particular moment in you know, Spider-Man culture. It's like, oh, we have to make a toy for Spider-Man. Like, why does he need a car? I don't know. We need to sell toys. Like, <laughs> it's just such a, a, a very perfect like late 70s, early 80s like moment that that really tickled me. I'm sure most people went over their head like whatever, but for me, that was great. <laughs> I love that. I really loved uh, 60s cartoon Spider-Man still animated the same way in the movie. And like, there's a joke. <laughs> there's a joke about him like not being animated fast enough to connect it with a kick. And he's like, oh, darn. And like keeps swinging. <laughs> My favorite like non-Spider-Man cameo, though, there's a really specific like comic book dig at Craven the Hunter where they're like, in this universe, we have imprisoned an interesting version of Craven and an uninteresting version of the Rhino. The fact that there's so many universes that there's an interesting Craven out there is, <laughs> is really funny to me. Because Craven, Craven, Craven the Hunter sucks. He's not a he's not a great <laughs> character. I mean, without further ado, let's strap on our multiversal wristbands and dive headfirst into the Spider-Verse. Across the Spider-Verse was released on June 2nd, 2023, uh, directed by Joaquin Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson, written by Phil Lord and Chris Miller, and Dave Callahan, with music by Daniel Pemberton. The score for this movie is like, that could be a whole podcast unto itself and probably should be. The movie had a budget of $100 million. Uh, so far, the box office is around $393 million. The film surpassed into the Spider-Verse's total gross in its entire theatrical run in just 12 days. So people were clamoring for the sequel. Wow. The movie opened with $120.7 million. It's the second highest opening of 2023 so far behind, you guessed it, <laughs> Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> and this movie is the eighth highest animated opening of all time. Stars, once again, Yoshimik Moore as Miles Morales. This is like God tier voice acting in this movie, by the yep. way. It's like incredible. Just a murderer's row of of talent. Haley Seinfeld back as uh, Gwen Stacy slash Spider Gwen. Brian Tyree Henry as uh, Jeff Morales. Should we? Uh, I just got to acknowledge that they, I'm thankful they changed his name to Jeff Morales from Jefferson Davis. I was just about okay. to ask you if you knew what his original name was. I was like, yeah. are they sure they want to do that? <laughs> like, anybody that doesn't know the character's name was originally Jefferson Davis. If you don't know why that's problematic, please look it up. We don't need to get into that. Uh, Luna Lauren Velez as Rio Morales, who is phenomenal in this movie. I, I think one of my favorite moments in the movie is between Miles and his mom on the rooftop. So Oscar Isaac just crushing it as Miguel O'Hara slash Spider-Man 2099. Uh, mm -hmm. Jake Johnson back as Peter B. Parker. Jason Schwartzman as The Spot and just a, a wonderful, delightful performance there. Issa Rae as Jess Drew slash Spider-Woman. Karen Sony as, as Pav Prabhkar, also known as Spider-Man India. Daniel Kaluuya as my main man, Hobie Brown slash Spider-Punk. And then Mahershala Ali back as uh, Uncle Aaron slash The Prowler. Any standouts to you in this cast? Um, what, what's interesting, like uh, Jason Schwartzman, I picked out right away. Um, but it actually took me a while to identify Oscar Isaac. Um, I mean, eventually I figured out who it was, but I thought his performance was just so complex and interesting. And again, like a lot of times, you know, when I watch trailers for animated movies, because I'm not watching the whole thing, obviously, uh, right. when you hear like a familiar <laughs> voice, it just sounds like they're phoning it in. No one sure. in this movie is phoning it in. Everyone's there for the character and the story. They nail it perfectly. I thought Oscar Isaac was the the right 
mix of he's very intense, but he's got a purpose. You know, he gets angry at times. It's a really incredible performance. So that one really stood out to me. I think Jason Schwartzman just really crushed it as the spot. Just so yeah. just so funny, but then like then so weird and menacing as the story calls for it later. And then I mean Daniel Kulia is just the best always. (laughs) I didn't mention it in this actual cast list, but probably my favorite in the whole movie was Andy Samberg as uh, Crimson Spider, who was just like so so hilarious and so perfect as like this brooding 90s version of Spider-Man, just like (laughs) perfect pose, nailed it. He's so great. The movie opens on Earth 65, uh, where Gwen Stacy is struggling with her police captain father, who has no idea that she's Spider-Woman. In her dimension, Gwen was responsible for the death of Peter Parker, uh, who in that universe was the lizard and the police had been hunting after Spider-Woman ever since. Gwen encounters the vulture from an Italian Renaissance themed alternate universe one night. He comes crashing in from an alternate dimension followed by Miguel O'Hara and Jess Drew who show up using their portal generating watches and they help Gwen take down the vulture. Gwen is confronted in this moment by her father and reveals that she is Spider-Gwen, Spider-Woman. Distraught, her father attempts to arrest her, and then she escapes through a dimensional portal. Miguel and others begrudgingly grant her membership into the massive spider society. Like we mentioned earlier, wonderful opening, really sets the stakes, mm-hmm. really sets the uh, sets the tone, and shows you that they're really going to go as hard as possible with the visuals on this. The way it opens just is so intense. The music's building, it's cutting between Gwen doing a drum solo, but also over this really emotional moment of losing Peter, and then her father figuring out that she's Spider-Woman and hunting her. So really, really yeah. great opening. Incredible. I, I just, again, like as someone who only has a passing knowledge of like contemporary animated films, like they all kind of look the same to me. So like starting off with that watercolor painterly aesthetic, it immediately looks different. I love the use of color in it, the sort of pastel colors for Gwen Stacy. It just really stood out visually to me. And then as soon as you see like the vulture come in and it's a completely different animation style, I was like, okay, they're doing something really special in this movie. So yeah, yeah here we go. right yeah. from get go, right from the jump, I'm like, all right, I'm in 100%. Whatever happens, I'm there for it. And just what a, what an amazing concept is just that there's an entire universe that's just Renaissance drawing <laughs> versions of things. Yeah. Before this movie played, the trailer for Elemental, the new Pixar <laughs> film is coming out, which yes. like, yeah. I'm, I'm a big Pixar fan. Clearly, I'm going to take the boys to go see that too. And I was just like, oh, like, I don't want to see this again. I don't want to see this right. style anymore. I want to, I want to be like beaten over the head with animation like, like Spider-Verse does because it has this, this style that feels like creativity cannot be contained to a film cell. You know what I mean? It's like yes. exploding out of itself. Sorry, centering it around Gwen was really yep. surprising to me to start. So puts you on the back foot right from the beginning. We swing into Brooklyn on Earth 1610 as... Miles Morales is like absolutely crushing it as Spider-Man and in true Spider-Man fashion, not so much crushing it as a teenager. His grades are down. He's well, he's got a B in Spanish, which much to his mom and dad's chagrin. <laughs> and he's missing school. He's missing. He partially misses his dad's like promotion party because he's busy doing things like finding the spot in a bodega in Brooklyn, you know, but in the, in the meantime, he's taking down guys that are like stealing shoes from stores just effortlessly. But yeah, he pops into this bodega. He encounters the spot trying to steal money from an ATM, which is really funny. So the spot is like, even the movie referenced as like a Spider-Man villain of the week yep. who can produce yep. portals with his bodies. He can, uh, he's trying to steal the money from the ATM by like shoving the ATM through his body. He's kind of a bumbling idiot of a villain who is just trying to make a name for himself, similar to our main character, Miles Morales. So the spot we find out blames Miles for his current form after we find out he's the guy that Miles hit with a bagel in the first film. The explosion of the collider from the first film transformed him into the spot and gave him these insane interdimensional portal powers. He also reveals to Miles that the spider that bit him in the first film 
wasn't from this dimension. It was from Earth 42. At this point, you know, the spot accidentally transports himself into a void. He disappears into himself where he begins to learn these amazing interdimensional, interuniverse changing powers and visiting different realities. It's pretty amazing. If you were to, if you were to ask me like which villain would be the star of a Spider-Man movie, the spot would not be anywhere in the top you know, 50 of my yeah. list. Like, it's just like a throwaway character. It basically exists as a visual gag in the comics. And I just love the fact that they to give him some pathos in this movie and make you kind of feel bad for him at times. And to actually use the sort of visual gimmick of him in a really interesting way. Like, it's, again, something that, in my mind, it's like, you can only really do that in comics. But nope, sure enough, you can do it here. And they really nail it. They really make this character more fascinating than I've ever read any Spot story. You know, like I was saying, he's such a wonderful foil for Miles because they're both... Yeah. The Spot perceives himself as a freak and an anomaly. Mm-hmm. Miles sees himself as an anomaly and alone, and later we figure out that he actually is an anomaly. It's it's the spot trying to gain notoriety and be taken seriously, and he's doing that through gaining power and wanting to take over the, the entire multiverse while Miles is on this personal journey to figure out his identity as well. But also with like with the spot, like how they represent him visually throughout the film as he's growing more powerful. It's kind of like reminds me of like a Agent Smith from from the Matrix kind of situation where he's so mm-hmm. out of control that his animation becomes out of control. And it's yes. kind of like someone like accidentally knocked ink over on a comic book page or something, and he's just like these splotches of ink that are flying everywhere. It's like meta on a level where it's like he's kind of coming out of the comic book. But at the same mm-hmm. time, it just works for his character as he's traveling through multiverses. Fucking yeah. cool. So fucking it's cool. So great. Yeah, um, and yeah. scary, like weirdly, just the boys were like kind of scared by it, and I was like, it's it's sure. distressing, it's disturbing looking. And I, like I said, I'd love to see Miles in full control, being Spider Man and and aging him up. I'm right. sure it was really special for the people that saw Spider Verse when they were ten and now right. fifteen. Yeah. You know, same age as Miles or close to it, and seeing him being like in full control of those those powers is very cool. Gwen undergoes a mission to track the spot across dimensions that sends her to Miles' universe, Earth 1610, and she reconnects with him. She, at this point, you know, uh, tracking the spot throughout, opens a portal to Mumbaton. It's like a hybrid of Mumbai and Manhattan, uh, where we meet Spider-Man India. And Miles follows her there, and they team up with Pav, that aka Spider-Man India. Eventually, Spider-Punk Hobie Brown against the spot, who at this point successfully absorbs that world's collider. Spider-Man India is fucking wonderful. It's so great. Yeah. I really want like a whole movie of Spider-Man India, but I just love that it. like <laughs> the montage of him being like Spider-Man's easy. Being Spider-Man's so easy. Miles in this universe saves Pav's girlfriend's father, who in this universe happens to also be a police captain. Mumbaton begins to fall apart as a result of that. Um and members of the Spider Society arrive to assess the damage. It's kind of like an incursion. If you saw uh, Doctor Strange, the Multiverse of Madness, it's basically mm-hmm. things got altered so drastically that this universe begins to fall apart. So at this point, the Spider Society arrives to investigate what's going on and hopefully set it right. But meanwhile, all of our heroes head back to Nueva York on Earth 928, where millions and millions of spider variants. <laughs> reside yeah. in this extremely massive complex. They meet up with Miguel O'Hara and Peter B. Parker is there as well with his new daughter, Mayday. Big dad movie, for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, for sure. <laughs> what, what does he say? As a son of the mother and a father of a daughter. I was like, <laughs> total, yes. total girl dad Peter Parker is wonderful. <laughs> they begin to explain to Miguel. Uh, no, I'm sorry. They begin to explain to Miles how each Spider-Man story contains what they call canon events. Straying from those events threatens the fabric of the entire multiverse. Miguel reveals that he tried to do this in his own universe when he tried to replace was that a dead version of himself with himself from the, another universe right. to raise his daughter who was orphaned as a result of his death 
which is again why this is so crazy that people are like, yes, the multiverse, I get it. Um, <laughs> that entire universe collapsed onto itself because of that. Yeah, you know, this is like the the grand introduction of Spider Man twenty ninety nine, and you know, from all the marketing and everything like that, it looked like Spider Man twenty ninety nine was going to be like somehow the main villain of the movie, and like the spot was just like a like again like a villain of the week style fight, spinning that expectation around, and him just kind of being not a bad guy, but like someone that needs to keep Miles under control. Really surprising and fun to me. Where are you at with Spider Man twenty ninety nine? You know, I'm, admittedly, I never read any of that stuff. Like, I know the Same. character, but it's kind of like new to me. As a big Spawn head in the nineties, like I, <laughs> I was all about that like ugly ass like nineties <laughs> aesthetic, and like Marvel went wild with those like reboots and retellings, and like in the nineties, like not that they don't do that now, but. For some reason, I always specifically remember Spider Man 2099 because of like the blue foil cover of the first issue. <laughs> yes, the first cover, yeah. The actual origin of Spider Man 2099 is fucking crazy. Like, of course. It's basically he turns into Spider Man because he runs like a particle accelerator that combines DNA and he's like obsessed with the 90s, 2000s era Spider Man, Peter Parker, <laughs> an evil corporation that gets him addicted to drugs. So he has to use okay. the particle accelerator <laughs> thing to like cure himself of being addicted to drugs but in the meantime accidentally gives himself like spider vampire powers you know they, th- they say like the shortest distance between two points is a straight line it's like nope not in comics <laughs> not, not in comics not nope. in comics whatsoever we're, we're getting addicted to drugs to become a spider vampire so trust me even though i didn't read i didn't read spider-man 2099 but i had every issue of the clone saga so i was definitely there for crimson spider <laughs> uh big for me as a kid i don't know why i don't remember any of those stories but i had to have all those issues for some reason and i really like the introduction here of using like canon events because the creators of this movie are very in tune to how their audience talks about content currently and you know canon is obviously a huge thing to people especially as like a star wars fan people are like oh is that canon is that canon is that canon folding that into the actual storytelling and saying like canon events are these moments that happen for every version of us throughout the multiverse is just a really fun deconstruction of the kind of the power of comic book storytelling but like why are we the way we are what's avoidable what makes a rebooted character or version of a character maintain the essence of the original character like especially yeah. with spider-man like what's necessary to be spider-man you have to lose a loved one it doesn't matter who it is you got to lose your mentor and it's going to be your police captain dad it's going to be your uncle ben it's going to be pov's girlfriend's police captain father it's going to be one of these people throughout sure. every version of the story you know I'm, I'm kind of of two minds on that because like on one hand i love the sort of meta commentary of it saying like yeah these characters have been rebooted countless times over their their history but there's still certain moments of their story that are important you know what i mean you can never reboot yeah. spider-man and let uncle ben live like that just doesn't work on the other hand like does the idea undermine the premise of the first movie where you had literally have stan lee saying anyone can be spider-man anyone can put on the mask or is he saying like or is this movie saying like, anyone can do that but there are consequences or there are things you're gonna have to deal with there are it's not gonna be easy I think that's what it's saying is as soon as okay. you don that mask, you become, yeah. you know, obviously great, but with great power comes great responsibility, but also sure. you, you accept the fact that you've changed your story to the point where mm-hmm. you're going to lose someone you love and you have to choose between that and being Spider-Man, you know, and miles in being that anomaly in that moment has to break down canon and become his own like self-actualized version version of Spider-Man. Making that choice comes with its own responsibilities. Oh, sure. Sure. Yeah. In that same vein, Miles realizes at this point that his father, who was set to be promoted to police captain, will be his canon event death and deduces from there that the spot will be the one that tries to kill him after 
swearing vengeance on Miles. And Miguel argues with Miles about the danger of alternate canon events before imprisoning him. There's a lot of people in prison in this compound, including <laughs> including the Donald Glover version of uh, Uncle Aaron. A lot of stuff like that. Sometimes I'm like, ah, we don't need that, but I loved it. I thought it was great. Yeah. Uh, Hobie slash Spider-Punk helps Miles break free, then dips for the movie. Is like, I'm out of here. I'm too punk rock for this shit. I, I don't even want to be a part of a society. <laughs> I'm out of yep. here. Um, Spider Punk, by the way, an- animated the coolest way in the whole movie. He's just like that, by like, far. Sex Pistols style poster, like pastiche. Yep. His guitar on his back is literally just a guitar that's cut out of like a rectangular piece of paper. It's not even like it's cut along the lines of the guitar. No, nope. so cool. And he's just like the best. Like the director, one of the directors of the movie said that like they needed him in the movie as a love interest for Gwen because. Miles is already pretty cool. So who's cooler than Miles? It's Spider Punk. Spider Punk, <laughs> yeah. So, and that's why they cast Daniel Kaluuya because they're like, who's cooler than Daniel Kaluuya? Nobody. <laughs> so yeah, at this point, Miles breaks free. And this scene is like 10 full minutes of every spider person that's ever existed chasing Miles throughout this complex. It's yeah. visually dazzling. It's incredible. Um Miguel orders all the spider people to apprehend Miles. They go on a chase throughout the city. Miguel eventually corners Miles and reveals that he's the original anomaly in the multiverse. He was never supposed to become a Spider-Man because that spider that was transported to his universe from Earth-42 left that dimension without a Spider-Man, and his was supposed to have Peter Parker, but Peter Parker died in his, so he was not supposed to be Spider-Man. Miles flees, and he returns to what he believes is his home dimension. Miguel, uh, seeing Gwen as a liability, kicks her out of the spider society. Gwen returns to her universe and reconciles with her father. He quits the police force for her. This movie handled the police aspect of it really well, I thought. Yeah. Um, it was yeah. it was not pro-cop in any way because ACAB, first no. of all, but also second of all, they understand that Spider-Man's from New York and kind of like the NYPD does play a lot into the Spider-Man story. And they introduced that in the first movie. Obviously, you know, before that and since then, there's been a lot of conflict in terms of police violence and Mm-hmm. You don't want to have a copaganda movie about an African-American Spider-Man. It, it acknowledges all these aspects of the Spider-Man lore, but handles them so tastefully because the police are kind of grappling with themselves if they want to continue to be policemen or, you know, yeah. it's, it's just really well handled. I thought she leaves to aid Miles, uh, leaving Earth 65 with bootleg portal watch that um, Spider-Punk left her as a gift with her father in that dimension. Yep. That chase, by the way, that chase of the complex took four years to animate. That's insane. That's so it, insane. It, it's crazy. And it, it's so well done. You know, I feel like, again, one of the hardest things for movies to capture is the big over-the-top comic book fight. And this movie kind of does it perfectly because, you know, there are other examples of other superhero movies where it's just like, oh, have a big fight, but it gets muddy. You lose sense of the action and the scope. In this movie, you never lose sense of what's happening. It's like, you know, it's like comparing most action movies to Mad Max Fury Road, where as crazy as that movie is, there's always a center focus. You know exactly where everyone is at every moment. This movie kind of does the exact same thing. You know exactly where Miles is in relation to everything else. It's so focused while being feeling totally chaotic and over, over all over the place. The animation styles are shifting constantly. The angles, it, yep. as it becomes Miguel versus Miles, it's it shifts again to be this like more personal style of animation. We just get like a slew of insane spider people thrown at us, like the <laughs> sp- spider cat, which I love. Um, and then <laughs> yep, the Spider-Man yep. T-Rex, like the venomized like Spider-Man T-Rex. T-Rex. Just this concept that Miles is an actual anomaly in an infinite multiverse of infinite Spider-Man. He is the only one that's not supposed to be Spider-Man. 
who is yeah. he's a person that's already struggling struggling with his own existence. So it's just sort of this like meta commentary because you know when Miles Morales was first introduced, everyone loves Miles Morales now, but people were not happy about it initially that they're like, this is not our Spider Man, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Go figure. People were racist <laughs> about the introduction of a, a person of color into the Spider Man suit, but definitely like a, a a metaphor and like a great analogy for like the, the BIPOC community and just like teenagers in general. Like, who am I? How do I fit in? Why am I here? Um, mm-hmm. Lorda Miller and like the directors of this movie really understand that when you're this age, like you kind of come online, become self-aware of like, what is existence? Who am I? What am right. I doing? These existential teenage childhood questions are like the entire emotional thrust of this movie. Yeah, um, ab- absolutely. Again, like I, I often wondered, you know, watching these movies the first one included, you know, what do just casual fans who only know the outline of Spider-Man's story, what do they think of this idea that there's more than one Spider-Man or there's all these, you know, in this movie, thousands upon thousands of different Spider-Man, what makes Spider-Man special? And I think this movie does a great job of saying, well, this particular Spider-Man, Miles Morales, is really special because he is unique, even in this sea of other Spider-People. And like, that's when the movie really got, I mean, I enjoyed it up till then, but at that moment, was like, okay, they're doing something really interesting here. They're really yes. tapping into what makes Spider-Man special. If you read the early Spider-Man stuff, you know, the Steve Ditko Spider-Man comics, Spider-Man's really weird. Like, yeah, it's, it's he's so not weird. the typical superhero, you know, it's, and Steve Ditko, like, really baked this weirdness in the character, which over the years has kind of, like, gotten out as, as Spider-Man's gotten, you know, sort of, like, more mainstream popular, drawn by artists that drew him more traditionally like a superhero. But, you know, Spider-Man being a weirdo is kind of baked into the character, and I'm not saying Miles Morales is a weirdo, but the sense of being an outsider is what make Spider-Man special. And I think Steve Ditko being a reclusive weirdo himself realized that that's what readers wanted from that, that character. And I'm glad this movie kind of taps into really telling people, it's like, if you feel out of touch and you feel like you don't belong, so does Spider-Man. That's okay. No, and he's going to figure it out. It's it's really, really touching. And it's not just Spider-Man. It's specifically miles. Like, yes, exactly. This this character that just like, just doesn't know what to do next. And and it's yeah. powerful that he's just literally the only one. Just the storytelling <laughs> of this movie kind of gave me kind of gave me faith not only in like comic book movies again, but also in yeah. just like modern movies in general. Like modern movie storytelling. It's just it just made me feel yeah. hopeful. Yeah. Uh, it, it, again, and like that's something I I really, really love superheroes as a as a genre. It's something I've always loved ever since I was a kid. And it's like but they can be done well and they can be done poorly, like, like any genre. There's not right. one single way to, yeah, to yeah, do yeah. it, but there's ways that make tap into what make that makes that version special to me. There's a lot of shitty superhero movies. I've watched a lot of them, <laughs> there's, but there's ones lot. that I, <laughs> yeah, but there's ones that really tap into what I personally think is special about superheroes. And this one really does it. I think again, making miles such a unique character, you know, putting that weight on him and him being able to bear it because he's Spider-Man because of this, his uniqueness. Right. It's really, really special. And like, that's one of those things I want to like, you know, reiterate to people that just know superheroes from superhero movies. Like, no, there are so many great stories with this character that deal with the same issue for you to read. Like go out there and check them out. There's a lot of shitty ones too, but there's really good ones out there. Right. This is the Spider-Man, the quintessential Spider-Man dilemma is like, how do I make this work? And, um, yeah. and the thing is with, with, superheroes too like sometimes i feel personally kind of goofy looking at the world through the lens of superheroes and like the stories that they tell but then i remember that like superheroes were created by adults that were trying to figure out a way to put their struggles and their lives into a fictional world and tell these stories with 
amazing characters as avatars for their their emotions. It was like their version of therapy. So it's not like, you know, this is stuff that's written by like eight-year-olds for eight-year-olds. It's like, <laughs> right. it's, I, I don't know, it's often viewed as like little kid shit. Like in a, as you're an adult, you sure. have to put childish childish things away. I think it's the mm-hmm. opposite. I think you need to tap more into comics and, and childish shit more than ever when you're an adult to remember what it's like to ground yourself in stories like this. So Yeah, and especially in a world, as we mentioned earlier, in a world where there's it's hard to find hope sometimes and so you know world where we're kind of wishing that there's a better world out there for us and like i think superheroes right from the very first one superman is an example of a a fictional character who represents everything we want humanity to strive for in a form that can never be destroyed and i think what makes spider-man even better example of that is he represents the outsider he represents someone that is you know isn't perfect you know but can bear the weight when he needs to. You know, there's that the the best Spider-Man story, in my opinion, is Spider-Man number thirty, Amazing Spider-Man number thirty-three by Steve Ditko, where you know he's trapped under a giant piece of equipment in Doc yes. Ock's lab. The lab's filling up with water. He's going to drown. And he just starts thinking about what he owes to Aunt May, what he owns to uh, Uncle Ben, what he owes to Gwen Stacy, and he like musters up the energy to pick up this gigantic piece of machinery and escape. And it's like such an amazing sequence. And, like that's what the character represents: overcoming incredible odds. And that's what we want superheroes to do. And that's what we kind of look up to him for, you know, giving us the example to be able to do that ourselves. That's such an iconic panel to <laughs> him just like busting yeah. out of the. It's so Incredible. it's so great. As Miles returns to his apartment, he reveals to his mother finally that he is Spider-Man. And that's why he's been acting so crazy and so weird all this time. But in this moment, she has no idea who Spider-Man is and what he's talking about. Miles glitches out and finds that his uncle who is dead in his reality is alive in this one, uh, his uncle Aaron, and he's, his dad is already dead in this reality. So in this moment, he realizes that he's not on his earth. He's back on earth 42 because the there's this crazy like spider contraption in Miguel's compound that like yeah. sends things back to its reality. That's the one of the craziest decisions in the movie is like this. <laughs> like The literal spider. Yeah. This fleshy like spider robot device. It's so strange, but it's, it sends him back to the wrong dimension because the spider that bit him sequences his DNA to send him back to this wrong dimension. Aaron has miles tied to like a punching bag and interrogates him. He's walking around all of his prowler costumes. And you're like, Oh my gosh, you know, the prowler, the prowler reigns in this universe. He's, he's back and he's about to cause a lot of trouble for miles. But right at this moment, Dun, 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 who walks in, but the prowler of this universe. It's not his uncle Aaron, but he takes his helmet off and it's Miles G. Morales. It's his twin yep. from this this dimension. And in this world, Miles is the prowler uh, and there is no Spider-Man. Miguel, Spider-Woman, and Crimson Spider, Crimson or Scarlet Spider? Scarlet Spider. And Scarlet Spider travel to Earth 1610 in search of Miles just as the spot arrives and begins this attack. Gwen Stacy talks to Miles' parents and reveals everything to them. And in this moment, she decides, like she says, the original band didn't work for her, so she started a new one. She gets the band back together, mm-hmm. and it's every spider person that's from the first, from Into the Spider-Verse and, and these movies as it builds to this climactic cliffhanger and the movie ends there. Loved it. Uh, did, did that twist work for you? <laughs> oh, that was great. As soon as, you know, obviously, like in retrospect, all the clues are there. Mr. Policeman gave you all the clues. Uh, <laughs> um, but in the moment, you're not looking for the clues. You're just there for the emotional beat of like, all right, yeah. he's going to tell his mom he's Spider-Man and so that's going to solve so many of his problems. When she doesn't know who Spider-Man is, like my heart sank. It's just like, oh, shit. And it's like that realization, like, oh, no, there's a bigger story here. You know, it's going to be the, the worst timeline for him to land in. 
that total that twist worked for me. And I think that was the moment in the movie where I realized they're telling a much bigger here story here. I didn't know this was going to be a two parter. I didn't know it was going to be a cliffhanger. But in that moment, I was like, they're not going to wrap this up. There's going to be something right. else following this. Right. So I yeah. thought it was a great way to even someone like me who didn't know that it was going to be a two part movie. It was an indication like, no, we're going bigger. We're swinging for the fences with this one. This is a huge story. And like, it was, I thought it was a perfect way to, to wrap things up. I knew a cliffhanger was coming in some, in some way, shape or form because when they first announced the sequels, it was across the spider verse part one and part two. And then they changed mm-hmm. it to beyond the spider verse for the third part. So I, I knew, I knew again, it was a middle chapter. I knew it wouldn't resolve itself. Um, I did. What I did not expect is a last minute wrinkle in the plot because everything that existed already was already enough for a third part to introduce Miles as the prowler at the end was <laughs> just like just next level to me. Like because it it fits the themes so well. Because yeah. Yeah. what's a world without a Spider Man? What's what happens to a person that takes the responsibility of being a hero or a villain and goes the wrong way with it? And it's the same character as our main character. I mean, it's it's funny. It's 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 a surprise, but also like it's the most obvious choice. That's yeah, that thing totally. where it's like, it's like yeah, it's a surprise, but yes. also who else could it be? Exactly. And and to tie it so closely to Miles' origin to have like yeah. the emotional aspect of his uncle Aaron as the prowler, but like, oh, it's <laughs> he's not the prowler, he's just the prowler's sidekick. The most evil version of him is himself in this universe. Great. Uh, just a lot to unpack. Very cool. So where, where do you think we go from here? I'm, I don't know. I don't know how to speculate. I feel like this story got so so big, you know. Um, there are, I feel like there are a few outs uh, that they like built into this story though because when Gwen, when Gwen Stacy finds out that her father's not going to be captain, it's like, okay, well then he's not going to die. And then, you know, in if Miles Morales is not supposed to be the Spider-Man of Earth 1610, then maybe his father doesn't have to die. You know what I mean? It's just a, it's chance that he ended up with those powers, even that destined to be Spider-Man in that universe. So that was my first thought. There are a couple that gave us a couple like loopholes or outs already in the story to have a happy ending, maybe at the end of the next one. Well, the only thing I can think of is mm-hmm. like, there are instances in Spider-Man comics where the Prowler is not a bad guy, where he becomes oh, a yeah. good guy to help Spider-Man. Uh-huh. And I can see a version where Miles realizing he's the anomaly convinces this Miles that this isn't the life that he needs to choose. Is this evil one who can set things right by kind of becoming his mentor to take him away from a life of crime, you know? Um, yeah. But beyond that, I mean, that seems too obvious and easy for this, these movies because they don't do nothing nice and easy, to, you know, to pull from Tina Turner. They just go for it. And I don't I don't think that they'll uh, hold back. It's just, it's just, it's hard because this movie was so mind-blowing that we still have a third one. And it's like, I was so floored by this movie that I was like, how yeah. are they going to top this? But you know that they're going to. So it's like, it's, right, it's, exactly. hard to even, it's hard to even reserve judgment because this movie is so incredible. But it's like, you kind of have to pull back a little bit until it's all completed. Um, exactly. But there's just, yeah. I, I've just, you know, the stock for this movie has never been higher. Like it's just, it's, it's, <laughs> my trust in them is just so complete at this point. That yeah. I know that the third part's going to be amazing too. Exactly. Um, no, again, like I said, they had me right from the beginning, just in terms of style and animation and the scope. I was like, I was there from frame one and it held my attention the whole time. I, I was, I was beyond, beyond, it exceeded my expectations. You know, I said earlier, it's just like, I, I love the first one, but this one's like, oh, let's do everything but better, smarter, bigger. Loved it. I stand by this. They're going to be talking about this movie as a turning point forever in the same way as like a trip to the moon or like the original Star Wars, where it's just like, 
you can't go back after that. Things have changed forever. And they did right. it five years ago and they did it again in 2023. <laughs> They're going to do it again in March of 2024. And it's just a great time to be alive in any multiverse. So. We loved it. Yeah. If you haven't seen it yet, I'm not sure why you listen to this because we just told you the whole movie, <laughs> but you should still go see it because you can't really explain or describe it in words. It just needs to be seen to be believed. Absolutely. It's a yeah. wonderful, wonderful movie. I can't see any other movie this year being better than this. Uh, at this point, there are 10 separate Spider-Man wow. movies, Spider-Man solo movies. Like he's obviously in other movies like Infinity War and things like that. 10 standalone Spider-Man movies. Before we head out, let's take the temperature of where you think these Spider-Man movies rank. So we're going to do our personal sure. rankings of Spider-Man movies. So what's your number 10? Uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2. I actually never saw it. So the bite be okay. Perfect. <laughs> By default. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've really come around on Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker and Spider-Man, but uh, yeah. it's just not a good movie. Uh, what's your number nine? <laughs> uh, Amazing Spider-Man. As much as I like Garfield as Peter Parker, just I, I didn't give a shit about that movie. My number nine is Spider-Man Far From Home. I liked it in the moment. It just doesn't do anything. doesn't sure. further the character except for in the MCU storyline. It doesn't stand on its own as a Spider-Man movie. It's just kind of like all about setting up the next adventures of the MCU and Spider-Man. I don't know. It's fine. What's your number eight? Number eight uh, would be Spider-Man Homecoming. Again, like I, I was not a huge fan of the idea of Peter Parker Ouch. being Tony Stark's sidekick. Spider-Man Homecoming is higher on my list. And I'll tell you why when we get there. The thing that always brings these movies down in the MCU is the MCU-ness of them all, where they have to force <laughs> the story. Like they have to keep the storyline yeah. going. So that's like, that movie would have been so much better without Tony Stark in it. Yeah, my number eight is Spider-Man 3, which I've, mm. I've really like... Definitely come around to more, but there's just some like kind of unforgivable moments in it. So for Grace as Venom is like just not something I'm into at all. Sure. Um, I want to reclaim it and I want to like it more. I just, it's, I don't know. The origin of Sandman is like really beautifully done. Like it's, yeah. it's actually a very tender moment in a superhero it, film, but. That, I mean, that carried the, the Sandman storyline is why it ranks higher in my list than yours. If that sure. kind of saves the movie for me. Yeah. What's your number seven? Number seven would be Far From Home. Um, I really liked the Mysterio storyline. I liked uh, Jake Gyllenhaal as that character. I thought that was really interesting, but you already said it earlier. Just kind of, it's just kind of there story-wise. My number seven is Amazing Spider-Man. I came around on this one a lot more than I really? thought. It's not great, but I just, I think Andrew Garfield is just such a cool, charismatic Spider-Man, especially after watching No Way Home. I like this guy, and I think it, I think it's not as bad as people remember it being. Uh, number six, go for it. Uh, no Way Home. Um, again, those MC movies, they're fine. I enjoyed, again, the multiversal aspect of this one. It's fun to see all three Spider-Men together, but at the end, I kind of just didn't... I mean, again, I don't think it's a bad movie, but, but I like other Spider-Man movies a lot more. Spider-Man No Way Home is also in this spot for me. Okay. Um, nice. When I saw it in the theater, I was like, this is the second coming of Christ. This is amazing. <laughs> like, what is happening? I love everything going on here. It's a very charming movie. The banter between the three of them is is so good and so funny. Uh, but when I got home and watched it, when it when it came to like home release, I was like, this isn't like this doesn't really hold up. It was more of a emotional, yeah. 
connection in the movie theater. And then as a movie, it's just, it's fun, but it's not, uh, it doesn't hold up as well as it should have. Number five. Number five, I'm Spider-Man 3. Like I said, the Sandman storyline really, really works for me. Oh, that's high. Sam Raimi, it's a Sam Raimi movie. Is that a good good Sam Raimi movie, but still Sam Raimi <laughs> movie nonetheless? He didn't like the Venom storyline either, so... There you go. Number five is Spider-Man Homecoming. Minus the Tony Stark aspect of it. I had a blast watching the movie in the theater. I really love like the punk rock energy of it. Great origin without being an origin. I love Ned so much. I think Ned's one of the best MCU characters. There was something just really fun and playful about this one that I remember seeing it in uh, IMAX at the theater. And when it was over, like people I don't even know, I was like high-fiving them afterwards because we just had so much <laughs> fun watching it. It goes that much higher just because the, the theater experience was really fun. Sure. So number four. Number four is the OG Spider-Man, Sam Raimi. Uh, Same. I, I really love that movie. Again, going back, revisiting it, there are some things that don't quite work, but I just think that's, you know, the CGI aging out. There's some weird action scenes that Sam Raimi's not, I don't think comfortable staging in that right. type of big movie, but incredible performances. You got the Macho Man Randy Savage in it. It's great. Totally. I mean, it should be number one just for that wrestling scene alone. <laughs> exactly. It's so, yeah. it's so good. Spider-Man being number four on my list, it's like these top four should just all be number one because I love them exactly. all so much. I remember going to see the original Spider-Man with my friend Dustin, who was like a Spider-Man freak. Yeah. He was like crying at the end of it because he was like, that was, I just that's all I've ever wanted. That's like all I've ever exactly. wanted to see. And like you said, like a, a lot of it doesn't hold up, but the parts that don't hold up are very charming. It's goofy, but it holds up. I'm just glad it exists. I, remember, I also remember seeing this movie in the theater with my dad and him being like, I just feel like I went on a roller coaster. <laughs> That's a ringing endorsement. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, Spider-Man number four. What's your number three? Number three is Into the Spider-Verse. Um, again, you already said it. These top four are kind of interchangeable, but you know. I absolutely love that movie and it kind of did everything I wanted a superhero movie to do. Um, but there's a couple others that I think do it better. So absolutely. My number three is uh, Spider-Man two for the longest time. You know, I thought this was the greatest superhero movie ever made. It still holds up immaculately like that bank fight with, Doc Ock on the side of the building Great. with Aunt May yep. is just like the most comic book shit possible on screen in live action. It's so awesome. And also a reason why I don't understand why Marvel movies just look like shit when Spider-Man 2 looks as good as it does X yeah. amount of years later. Alfred Molina as Doc Ock. Immaculate casting. Wonderful across the board. My number two is Across the Spider-Verse. Uh, I'm going to go yeah, as yeah. much as I've raved about this movie. I'm sorry. I'm just going to rank it number two. Yeah. You already said it earlier. Maybe just my bias against animation, but all these top three are pretty interchangeable. Top four are interchangeable. I adore this movie 100%, but I'm just not ready to put it number one yet for me. I'm just going to say my number one and my number two are so interchangeable that I, they just tie. Across the Spider-Verse and Into the Spider-Verse are my number one uh, and number two. The ultimate version of what I want Spider-Man to be just completely changed the game. You know, using Spider-Man as a Trojan horse for revolutionizing animation is one part of it, <laughs> but just like... The ability to go completely buck wild with the storytelling and have it hit as hard as it does is a small miracle. I, again, I'm, I'm always really hesitant to rank the most recent movie I've seen as my favorite. So that's why I'm still going to hedge my bets and put Spider-Man 2 in my number one slot. Sure. Uh, there's things about Spider-Man 2 that I absolutely love. Obviously, I think the performance by Alfred Alf Molina is incredible. I think the um, him saving the subway train is just so iconic. You know, you get the Wonderful. great moment where you get the random New Yorker going, hey, you can't do that to Spider-Man. You got to go through me yeah. first. Like right. shit like that has become like that's become standard superhero movie stuff. And I, I think it starts there. And not only that, they kind of let Sam Raimi make a mini horror movie right in the middle of it. Where oh they're trying God, to cut off Doc Ock's arms, which is like the best, the best thing Sam Raimi's ever directed. As again, as much as I enjoyed this this across the Spider Verse, 
I'm still not ready to admit that it's better than Spider-Man 2. Well, that part that part is is the best part of Spider-Man 2. Never mind. Spider-Man 2 is my number one as well. <laughs> you know me, I have no problem with recency bias of just like being like, this is the best one. But Across the Spider-Verse like fucked me up. I still think at this point, like technically Across is number two. Across wouldn't exist without Into, so that's that's the reasoning there. That's our definitive, inarguable, <laughs> canon version of the Spider-Man rankings. Yeah, thanks for being mm-hmm. here, Paul. Want to plug I read comics yes. real quick? Oh, yeah. Uh, thank you, John. It's always a pleasure to be here. If you want to hear more of me talking about comics, you can check out the I Read Comic Books podcast. We got new episodes every Wednesday, a rotating panel of guests talking about comics that they love. We're on all forms of social media and podcast platforms. I find us everywhere on the internet at IRCB Podcast, including our Patreon page where we post exclusive audio you can get, including a Batman series that I host called The Better Batmobile and a movie club show that John's been on. We talked about Dick Tracy. It was awesome. Uh, So you check that out at patreon.com slash IRCB podcast. I still want to come back on for Spawn. (laughs) (laughs) That'll probably happen. Yeah, I'll let you know. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks so much, Paul, for being here. Thanks to... uh Claritin and thanks to my neti pot for helping me get through this episode. My allergies are <laughs> insane. If I sound insane in this episode, it's because my allergies are still raging. Uh, hopefully that ends soon. To everyone suffering from allergies, we see you. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, please go see it. It's amazing. It's incredible. If you like what you heard here today, make sure to follow us at B1M1Pod on Instagram. Make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and follow us on Apple Podcasts, ring the bell and follow us on Spotify and rate us five stars if you like what you hear. Thanks to Christian Cremo for our theme music. Thanks to Spider Punk for existing. And uh, (laughs) thanks to you for listening and we'll see you next time.